Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Business. Just business. Hi, finance enthusiasts, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, content manager at CFO Connect, and I talk to finance leaders who are passionate about growing and scaling modern companies. This episode's a little different. We're bringing you inside our recent CFO Connect AMA webinar with Muse CFO Pavla Manzarova. Pavla joined us to talk about the financial foundation she's built, her love of automation, and she also answered lots of questions from our finance network. If you don't know Muse, it's a booking platform for hospitality businesses, particularly hotels. They take bookings, process payments, and create detailed reports all from one platform. Pavla has been CFO for four years and has built a large finance team to back her up. As always, the show is brought to you by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. If you don't mind, Pavel, yeah, tell us about yourself, maybe a bit about your finance background and also then a bit about Muse. Yeah, of course. So hi, thanks so much for having me. Hope to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, my name is Pablo. I'm CFO at News. I started with News back in 2016, four years ago now. It uh, feels short. Well, last year feels long due to COVID, but uh, in general, it was super fast for years. Back then, we used to have 15 employees, um, three small entities, around 80 customers, um, around, I would say, 20 countries around the world. Well, in these four years, we grew up to 250 employees today. It was 420 before COVID. Um, 11 legal entities, uh, over 1,800 customers in uh, over 60 countries. Um, so pretty rapid growth we have behind us. Um, in terms of myself and, and my background, um, prayer uh, joining news, I spent um, seven years in hospitality. I went through really um, any um, hotel-related role, probably you can imagine, started on the reception. I was doing analytics, um, partially revenue management as well, and then financial controlling in one of the product clusters that I went for uh, or went to try a corporate world for a while as well. I, I worked for ING Insurance. Um, I worked for Medtronic Medical Devices. And then for a while, I worked um, in Espresso. Um, so that was really valuable experience. But I was still missing that startup um, vibe or that hotel, uh, more operational vibe. So um, then when I got a chance to join News, it was just a love on the first site, and it still is until, until today. In terms of news, we are a property management system. Um, so we provide a tool, a software for hotels, hostels, apartments, um, basically any um, accommodation um, provider out there. The main point of the platform um, really is to automate the usual admin work uh, that you can imagine. We believe that technologists should enable um, hotels and hostels to take care of the guests and not take care of the admin. 
which is kind of also the main idea which we have in the news finance team as such, where we're trying to ditch any manual work uh, that we might be doing or we're trying to not to do. Uh, it's of course not 100% possible, but like I think from the, from the most part, uh, we are covering that and really be good business partners um, for the business. Um, finance team, as of today, is 30 people. Um, 15 is related to typical financial operations that you can imagine. So accounting, controlling, tax, treasury. Um, and the other half, the other 15, is, is more what you wouldn't maybe expect. Um, we have risk team, we have business operations, so we're taking care of any analytics and automation and systems in the company as well. We have a small M&A team too, um, and also um, part of it, or um, I'm also in charge of the legal team, uh, partially or within, within the company. 30? That's a, I mean, that's a lot. 30, yeah, yeah. Um. I always feel guilty that it's a big team and then I'm because I'm just I would rather have a smaller team and automate everything of course mm. um, but yeah it's 11 entities uh, it's a super fast growth uh, last year pre-COVID we expanded to um, seven countries uh, went locally into, into seven just had all of these offices newly open so that was a lot that we had to do um, and we're just trying to achieve real-time reporting and real-time accounting. That's kind of my dream. Everybody is um, more or less laughing, but um, I believe that you don't need monthly closures. Um, so we're trying to report everything real-time, what is possible, of course, which also requires daily reconciliations, daily processes, just basically continuous booking, right? So um, that's part of the part of our daily um, routine as well. This may be a silly question, so please tell me if it is. But I'm interested to know whether you think of Muse more as a SaaS company or as a hospitality company. And also, it, attached to that, whether the, the finance challenges align more with one or the other. Yeah, I think it aligns more with a, with a SaaS company. Um, the whole idea of Muse really is or um, was created by hoteliers ourselves, like big part of the company are former hoteliers. Um, the main idea is really to fix um, the founder's problem of uh, long queues on the reception. Um, and Richard uh, was building a hotel in Prague and that was one of his main issues that he didn't want to have any reception. So he was looking for an app for the guests where they would be able to check in online, check out online and do everything themselves. Um, which wasn't possible back at that time. And that led to the creation and establishment of, of, of news. Um, today, uh, we are also um, working on an interesting project, Space Time, what we would like to allow, basically enable the system um, to also handle not only hotel reservations, but basically any bookings in any time. So we're looking at ways how to enable um, hourly reservations. So imagine parking spots or storage boxes, uh, meeting rooms, um, co-working spaces. All of that, we believe that the system is robust enough to allow. So um, we might be going um, away from hospitality, of course, not, not completely, but we might be also going to different industries. 
Um, so that's where I think it's more SaaS, uh, but it's not only SaaS, we also process payments. Um, so our business model is based 50% on SaaS fees, um, where we invoice the customers basically on typical yeah, monthly fixed fees um, that you can imagine. And then half of it is based on payments. So that's commission-based revenue, um, depending on the payments volumes that are being processed by hotels. Does that kind of diversity of revenue streams, I mean, obviously that in my head, I'm picturing something that could be relatively difficult to manage, but mm -hmm. equally when, if the, the more diverse you have your revenue streams, the perhaps the safer you are when during crisis periods and when things get interesting. Mm, yeah, it depends what, what kind of crisis, yeah. uh, right? So, <laughs> So I, I guess uh, nobody was really expecting or planning on COVID crisis uh, when thinking about the business model back in 2012. Um, so partially, uh, we were lucky that we are not only based on commission revenues, but also have the SaaS part, which kind mm -hmm. of saved us uh, through this time. But of course, uh, the commission-based revenue basically yeah, dropped to almost zero in, back in March, March, April. Um, so that's, that's where, uh, we have to replan and, and basically rebuild, uh, partially also the, the structure of the company and, and come up with, with a different direction. Mm. Well, uh, my next question was going to be simply how these last kind of nine ish months have been. Um, I can guess for the, I can, uh, for the overall hospitality industry, I can guess it's been incredibly tough. Uh, but what yeah. about specifically for Muse? Yeah, it was tough. Um, so in the end of March, we figured out what's going on. Um, I guess like everybody else, uh, we stopped hiring and we're waiting what's what's happening. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and what happened is that occupancies went down to almost zero, right? So uh, which means that also our merchant uh, streams went down to zero. Um, yeah, like summer, summer was better. Uh, we all know that um, slightly, but like we got to around 50% of the market in previous years. So uh, much better than zero, but still not perfect. And now we are around 20, 30% um, of the market. And, and yeah, let's see what happens then. Like for us, it meant that we just had to replant everything, right? We just had to, uh, like everybody, throw out the budgets that we had out of the window uh, and start planning again. Um, and then replan and then replan and then replan again. Um, and just came up with a safe plan. And for us, it meant a path to profitability. Um, so basically analyzing everything, every single cost, looking at savings, looking at optimizations. We also decided to centralize because during 2019, we opened all of these local offices um, where it was very um, uncertain that uh, we will get the business which we were um, looking for or expanding for. Mm. Um, therefore, we decided that we will have to centralize in the main offices, in the headquarters, which is today in, in Prague, London, and Amsterdam. And we would have to close all of these um, local, not entities, but uh, entities we still have, but offices. Um, so that was, that was a big one. Um, and that's basically happening until now. We are also believing that today we can uh, work a lot on our internal processes, uh, spend time on systems and automation and um, just a bit more structure, right? When you're growing so fast for quite long, for four years, um, it's not always easy to look at 
uh, the structure and, and uh, making sure that everything works in the most efficient way. Um, so we believe that this is a good time um, to revisit this. So that's what we're working on mainly. Yeah, and so what, what, have there been some specific positive outcomes of all of this? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of them, uh, probably continuous planning, I call it. Uh, mm. So it's not, not anymore any budgeting and forecasting. It's just planning and it's not monthly. It's just continuous. So we're just looking at all the differences basically in real time and tracking everything. Um, and we always have updated plan every, every single day, basically. Mm. Um, so that's one of the things. Um, second is probably some cash flow analysis and inflows that we now, we always had quite detailed reports on everything. I really love Power BI um, and we have a good data structure and the data warehousing given we are a tech company. Of course, um, there's some good base in there, but um, we, for example, started forecasting revenues per customer um, so that it's super clear we're analyzing how, how good they are in basically paying us each month. And then depending on that, we are forecasting how that specific customer will be able um, to pay in future as well. So that became much more exact than, uh, than what it was uh, before. Um, but I think even some gaps uh, that we might have maybe in the payments products uh, due to some refunds and chargebacks and just these typical COVID transactions uh, weren't 100% handled in a perfect way. Uh, now I can say they are, um, so definitely. And we learned how to work from home. Uh, <laughs> um, we were always quite flexible with this. We were always allowing anybody to work from wherever they want. But I think we were still um, yeah, enjoying the office and still, um, yeah, we're quite dependent on the office. I can say right now that everybody at home has one or two monitors and they are happy working from home. Not maybe 100% happy, but definitely mm. happier than before. Um, yeah. Cool. And we do have a question specifically about COVID and mm -hmm. it's about projections for 2021. So mm -hmm. before I ask that question, I wonder how you, how are you seeing the outlook for at least the first half of 2021? Yeah, well, um, our projections are really, um, we're trying to build the plans in a way so that the metrics are still good, still solid, um, but we still have some leeway there and some reserves, right? So um, currently, I can only say that we are waiting for Q1, how, how the situation happens. Um, but kind of my middle forecast is that um, we would be keeping it around 30, 40% um, of the market. And then we have projected a slow growth uh, during the end of, um, or during the whole year, basically next year. And that's what we base the plans today. And uh, I'm curious uh, what's gonna happen in upcoming three months, really. I think um, that will be a crucial time. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating the you know with vaccinations just kicking off right now in some countries obviously not everywhere yeah and the the kind of the tail of that is actually going to be pretty long i think i mean we're talking about i'm in france and we've sort of been told unless you are an urgent case you're not really going to get it until april may june yeah it takes five six weeks to be effective so it could be you know right into summer when things start going back to normal um, Shaib had a question, I think like many of us, 
they are expecting things to change in June or begin changing in June. And so they are projecting up until June. What happens yeah. if things don't change in June? Or what yeah. happens, what happens um, if we don't know if they're going to change in June? I think that's really the question, if it's still uncertain. Yeah. Yeah, like for me, it's impossible right now to plan for the whole next year. It's just um, out of our hands, right? We're um, like, it's not the usual budgeting when you are focusing on a typical growth rate and um, you just, yeah, play around with the numbers, right? We just don't know what it's going to be. So um, for me, it's just if, if you feel if you have the assumption um, that the market is going to stay low, like count with that um, and just, yeah, keep it in your projection so that you are safe and you are ready for that. Um, what to do specifically is, is hard to say. Like in our case, as I said, like we're, we're waiting for Q1 to see what exactly is going to happen. I am projecting a slow increase. Um, so based on that revenue coming in, I can already say whether we will be able to um, hire more people, have a look at the cost, have a look at the expansion further. Um, but really it's, it's hard to say today, unfortunately. Mm. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. You were in expansion mode. And now it's restriction mode. Yeah. Next year, next year, expansion mode will hopefully return. So what information systems do you have in place to keep you flexible and to allow you, I guess, to um, roll with that or, or to, to make adjustments depending on what happens? So are we asking for the tech stack? Um, I guess so, yeah. Which information system? Well, um, well, information and where do we get the information? It's always best from everywhere. Uh, where do we put it? It's all Microsoft Excel at this point. Uh, to be honest, that's where we plan and that's where all the magic lies today. Yeah. I'm looking for some budgeting systems as well. Um, but there's nothing that would uh, satisfy all my requirements that I have. Um, and we kind of developed um, our own system within databases and Power BI's and reportings. So that will be all kept there. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I guess that answers. <laughs> it always comes back to Excel, I think. <laughs> yeah, no like, we, we are going through a transition today because uh, back into 16 uh, with 15 people, three entities, um, it sounded smart to start with zero, um, which was already cool uh, because of, of um, a cloud system um, and some automations uh, that are possible within it. Um, but um, we, yeah, with 11 entities, it's just impossible anymore to handle. So we are going for Microsoft Dynamics and we will go for a full ERP system. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen the planning in there yet. Um, I get the feeling that is um, 
you you are perhaps apprehensive about that, as lots of CFOs are. It will be great when it's working, but until it's working, it might be a headache. Yeah, yeah. I'm very. I, I feel like we might be spoiled because zero or or some of the like modern um, mm. systems that we have today for small and medium businesses, basically that are unusable for us anymore, or are going to be very soon. Um, have just figured out automation for things that are not figured out by big ERP systems. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we might get some features on top of like the more more important stuff um, like consolidation and exchange rates and and everything. But we might lose a lot as well, and that's something that we do not realize until uh, we see everything. We have another question on COVID um, from Gia, which is comparing to other players or competitors in the same sector, how did Muse perform? And if better, what would be the key factors you think? Hmm. Or if worse, I hmm. suppose. Yeah. Yeah, to be to be honest, I don't have clear, clear numbers uh, from other other players or similar companies. I would say we did well in general. We believe that we handled the crisis well and that we weathered the storm. Um, I would say, like in general, PMS market, uh, we are one of the like few solutions um, that are in cloud that offer online check-in, that offer online checkout as well, um, and that's generating um, a, a lot of interest from the hotels and even more today. So we are seeing. Um, yeah, more deals basically coming in just just based on this, um, and that's helping us to to innovate even more um, and drive this. So, I would say that helped us definitely. That we are one of the most modern that there there is. Um, and second, I think that we reacted quite fast, um, and it it was drastic um, in the beginning of COVID. Really, like we had to go down from four hundred to two hundred people. So um it was tough um but i think in the end it really helped us to to um yeah stand still in the end of the crisis and i really believe and yeah the whole company really believes that we will just get out of the crisis stronger um than before it and to i guess finish up this section i'm really interested to know just how you see the the future of, of hospitality or the, the immediate future? I mean, we've already sort of discussed the next six months, but what about the next two years? Yeah, I think it will go through a massive innovation, through massive um, modernization. And that's what we're trying to do these whole four years where we are, right? We believe that the guests should not be waiting lines on the reception. Mm -hmm. They should not need to wait until... and. Even the receptionist, I was doing that myself, right? Like clicking and invoicing the customers is such a pain. Um, we believe that this should be just happening itself. And I think in upcoming two years, we will definitely get there. And I believe that we have much more modern technology in so many industries. And it's it feels weird that hospitality is still kind of behind there. Mm. Uh, but we believe that we can help and, and fix that. Um, so I think everybody should just have their app when they're going to the hotel. They shouldn't need a key. They should just get to, to the room when they come to the hotel. They shouldn't need to sign a registration card. All of this can be done online, right? When you want to leave, you should be just able to pay from your cell phone. 
you shouldn't need to see somebody specifically right? city taxes city taxes are my favorite ones you have to pay yeah. in cash yeah <laughs> one euro 50 or something in cash mm -hmm. yeah uh, city taxes yeah let's let's not get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> we have another interesting question um from saeed and he well, they're, they're specifically saying that the u.s currency is likely to devalue Perhaps more generally, do you worry about the fluctuations in different currencies? Yeah, we do. Um, not specifically for, for US dollars, because most of our cash is, is um, check rounds uh, because of the big development center in Prague mm. um, and then euros, basically. Um, so between these two, we are checking the exchange rates and we are having a look how, how to um, yeah, mitigate the, the impact or the risks. But um, it's hard for us. Like if, if you are not able to plan a uh, long time ahead, um, of course this gets complex. So for us, it's not something that we would have a, um, a full-time person on or something. Um, it's more that, that we um, look at what, um, what the development is, how it looks like. And then uh, depending on that, uh, we decide when do we exchange um, the cash and when do we do the conversions. Wow. Okay. Uh, that was actually, I was going to ask that as a follow-up question. So you, you would be essentially from time to time trying to time your conversions and the amount of cash that you're holding in each currency to maximize cash essentially. Yeah. Like for us, the, the main cash that we are getting in our euros and then we need the local currencies, um, for the local offices, right. To, um, to, for the outflows, basically. So mm -hmm. that's something that we would we would time. We would be looking at the timing, um, but um, there's no huge automation behind it. Really, it's it's more um, thought driven. Really, in uncertain times, asks Nicholas, how do you maintain team morale? I think it's a great question. Yeah, communication. Um, so. Yeah, what we do within the company every Friday, we have a all hands meeting. Uh, we call it Amuse Bush, um, and every every employee really uh, connects, and and we're having a half an hour chat about what has happened the past week. And I think that's even more important in these uncertain times. Um, and then we have half an hour another meeting that is called Hammer Time, and everybody can ask questions uh, to leadership or anybody else in the company, um, so that we can get hammered. Um, so that's very, very open environment, I think, and that's very important. Um, we always have one-on-ones, so every person has regular one-on-ones with their managers. We're trying to communicate um, as much as possible. We even have office hours where we sometimes just connect to work together, but not necessarily chat about anything or something. Um, we use Slack, um, where all of the channels are, are really helping with, with all the communication. And, and just quick answers. So I think that's that's very important as well. And then the second thing I think is being open and transparent about financials, which was super important during the crisis as well. Uh, we created Fin Results um, Slack channel where we post every month how we are doing, how the MRR is doing, um, what is the payments volumes doing, like different um, dashboards and reports and financials, including the profits, so that anybody can really look whether we are on the plan. Uh, we also share when we are replanning, what are we changing in the plans, whether we are increasing 
um, our expectations on the market or whether we decided that we will maybe um, hire a couple people um, and stuff like that. So I think that's that's important really to be to be transparent. And like most of the companies really following the channel and, and um, tracking it, which makes me happy as well. I think that's actually a really nice outcome. Obviously, it's been a, a tough nine months, but I think the the focus that everybody has been able to gain, at least in our company and lots of the companies that we've spoken to, the, the new focus on financial literacy, on understanding what makes the company go and what makes the com- what what tells us that the company's in trouble and what tells us that the company is growing is really cool, essentially. Uh, Everybody suddenly now has an interest in MRR and burn rate and, and, and runway and all those kinds of ideas. Yeah, and I think that's the main purpose of the finance team, right? Like, what else should we be doing? Like, it's not information that we are getting for ourselves. We are getting it for the company. Um, and, of course, there will be always people who do not mind that much um, how it's looking. But if they want to understand it, they should have a chance. So that's why we do this. Like, we even have daily updates basically i have a dashboard in power bi that we're just sending out every single day um to a slack channel so everybody can subscribe and just have a look and ask questions and we are really active with the finance team just answering anything that anybody might want to know so i think that's that's an important one and martin's asking um specifically whether you've seen any negatives as a result of that is is, does that lead to difficult conversations about salaries and and where the money's going no, like uh, salaries, that's that's a different topic probably and open salaries, closed salaries and salary bans and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's something that we are actually going through right now and we want to make our um, salary bans uh, open to everybody, but that will still take a couple of months. Other than that, the salaries themselves um, are are closed. Like we don't, yeah, we don't have them public with the whole company. Um, but other than that, I, I must say that I'm more happy than than I would be worried because if there is somebody just looking at, for example, product people are just great. Um, they just see when something is happening in the chart and they just give me a heads up. Hey, Paula, what's that? Like, what is that increase? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, or just tell the team. So for us, it's basically alerts that we can have. <laughs> And uh, given it's on a daily basis, it's great that we see it automatically and uh, we can dig into it. And maybe nobody would actually notice um, anything, right, if, if it wasn't public. So I think it's, it's yeah, only good. Like, um, I've never had any negative experience um, due to being transparent with the financials. Great. Well, I'm going to take us in another direction now because you said right at the beginning that one of your sort of big focuses is automation and um, getting rid of manual processes, which is something that we're very keen on as well. And so I'm wondering what some of the manual processes that you've gotten rid of are. Hmm. Okay. So <laughs> from the from the very beginning, uh, I think the first thing that we did is automated expense reports. I think that's that's easy. Um, yeah, that's quite simple. You just um, establish a tool and everybody is super happy that they don't need to fill in expense reports, right? And just finance team takes care of it and that's it. Um, also, um, you get rid of delays um, in, um, in the receipt, um, how do you call it? Sorry. 
um, submissions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know everything immediately when it happens because everybody just likes to go with their phone and take pictures. That sounds um, great. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, worst thing is the approval afterwards. So sometimes it might get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> so it really depends. But uh, yeah, it is much easier than filling some spreadsheets. Uh, second thing, OCR. I think that's that's quite usual today as well. There are like we always say that we're. I often hear we are not typical accounting department. Uh, and when somebody says that, they mean we don't do piles of paper, we don't code manually and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, you know, we don't do that either. But I think it might be more common to actually already have OCR. Um, so I would say that's that's kind of a, a classic thing as well um, that we have and that works well. Um, we use Citibank, actually. It's good to have a global bank when you have 11 entities. Um, yeah. And we will be also um, integrating our accounting software um, with the bank um, so that everything can be done from there and you don't have to log in in different systems. Um, we also, but that's our, our own like subscription um, automation and revenue invoicing automation um, that we coded ourselves within our product, within news. We have our own subscription mm -hmm. solution that we then only export and import into Zero each month. Uh, what we did not automate until today, which which I'm really sorry for our receivables team, is, is ad hoc invoicing and uh, credit notes and postponements and things like that. Um, and that's something that is really hard to do because there are always some ad hocs, um, but I'm trying to look for some solutions there as well. Um, yeah, what else do we have? Reporting and reporting automation probably yeah. and uh, integrations of the system. We use Bando as ETL tool, so all of the systems within the company, including ticketing software of support, CRM for sales, are all connected through Blendo and then all that information is basically saved within our data warehouse. And then we are just connecting Excel files, Power BI files, everything to this one data warehouse so that any analysis that we do, we can just refresh it with one click and there's no ad hoc um, analysis happening whatsoever within the team. And I think that helps a lot as well. Well, I think you more or less answered this already, but you said that your eventual goal is real-time closing. Mm. So always having it always having the books closed essentially which yeah. what specifically is preventing that at the moment ah so many things uh <laughs> like intercompany reconciliations and consolidations mm. and uh um exchange rate differences interests um like generally for a non-finance person to explain this is that everything that takes you manual work um to do you don't you don't want to do it every day so then you bulk up all that work and you only do it once a month mm -hmm. and you do it in a monthly closure, right? Um, so that's where all of these activities are coming from. Um, I'm saying that we don't want any monthly closures for four years already. Um, part of the team was laughing. Uh, part of the team is taking it serious now uh, when they know me. Uh, but really what we achieved until today is that it, it got longer. It's not that bad. We are still closing our PNL on sixth working day um including all analysis and revenues always on first which i think is is solid mm. um but i wish we would get it uh much faster but then it means it's all around automation really and a follow-up question from martin do you use any software to import receipts or invoices to accounting 
or does Xero have any features to read and import receipts? Well, Xero has HubDoc as, as their own system. Um, but it's, again, it's a different system that you have to integrate and pay separately, basically. Um, back in the time, back into 16, um, there was really HubDoc, Hub, but it wasn't um, yet owned by Xero, and there was mm. Receipt Bank, and there, was, there were not that many other possibilities. So we went for Receipt Bank back then. Mm-hmm. I think today's Pendesk is a good solution uh, as well. I was going uh, to say, and Martin would probably fire me if I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> we, we do that. You sh- you, you're more than welcome to look into us. Go on. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think there are, there are more. Um, Zero cannot do that yet, as far as I know. I know that they are working on some AI and, and some other uh, further automations, but I don't think uh, it is in the system yet. I'm interested to know about more of the challenges from having that global team that you have. What are the specific challenges that you face as a result? Yeah. Um... Like for finance as such, uh, we are based in Prague and then we also have a couple of team members in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are no big challenges, really, um, to be honest. Like in the beginning where everybody was Czech, um, they had to get used to speaking in English on big meetings, uh, which was more like better for them because it forced them to speak when if they didn't want to um, <laughs> and learn a bit more. Now it's 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 all fine, right? So like language barrier uh, might be one, but that's mm. that that is it. Then maybe one hour time difference, uh, so that sometimes uh, we are on meetings in a wrong time or something that can happen, of course, um, but. That's that's pretty much it. Like before COVID, we were traveling a lot as well. Um, basically, almost the whole company. I was on the way all the time. Um, now we figured out that we can just work without it, right? It just works mm-hmm. from home, so it doesn't really matter. I would say um, you have to be really good with communication. You have to get used to communicating everything that is happening because, like. Before, I was just used to stand in the office and just shout, and I was just like, yeah, now everybody knows. Um, now it's different. Now I have to think about where to communicate what and uh, not forget uh, to communicate something and, and go through written form, um, which is different. Um, but other than that, I would say it's, it's, um, it doesn't really matter. Mm. I guess I was wondering as well about things like local regulations, local taxes, when you're processing payments, all that sort of thing. That's not really an issue. Yeah, of course, like regulations, but that's not, um, okay, that's, yeah, I was um, talking about more like people team issues, Uh, but if we're looking about going global, then yeah, of course. Um, I think the biggest pain is local um, accounting services. Um, What we are using, using currently is that in each country where we are in these 11 entities we always have a local accounting company that is advising us with um, taxes uh, helping us with tax submissions uh, and VATs and with payrolls Um, that's something that partially we have because it's just impossible to find one person who would be able to do that in-house in one of the countries that we have Um, but it would be like a full-time job I think for one one person Um, so it's good to have partners um, in the countries. What is not great is when you have different partners in each country, because then every single entity, you have to be just submitting the payrolls every month and reviewing it every month. And you are just doing it that many times, that many entities you have, obviously. Um, so what we're trying to do now is to consolidate a bit more and find, um, global partners, 
um, in the countries, but you cannot find one global partner who would be able to do VAT, but also payroll. Um, I figured um, we were trying to do that, but it doesn't really work because it always ends up with a local, even if you choose a global partner, um, I don't know, like somebody from big four, let's say, mm-hmm. um, it always ends up with their local partners somewhere. And then they might consolidate that for you, but it's still different people working on, on it. Um, so we now found like global partners, one separate one for payroll and one separate one uh, for VAT. And we will go this way so that we would have only two basically um, in, in all of the countries, but at least um, only two. And then the second thing is the banking. Um, that's mm-hmm. just something that, that um, took us a while to figure out. Uh, we had local uh, banking solutions in each of the countries. Uh, we are also using Revolut, uh, which we like, but their enterprise solution. Um, they don't basically offer like more entities within one account, right? Um, so then you have to have like separated revolutes per entity. Um, so that wasn't great either. Um, and then we always have some um, local bank account somewhere, which we had to have to, to start the entity. Mm. Um, so during last year, we consolidated everything with Citibank and we are happy with it. Um, it's not the fastest, it's not Revolut, it's not an app. Of course, it's a bank. Uh, but we're happy with the services and we're happy that we are having only one provider. Um, and at least um, the banking statements are standardized. It's just one software that you look at. It's just, um, you could just import like bulk um, statements all together for all of the different entities. So that's really simplifying it. In terms of FP&A, how kind of granular do you get with your reporting with those uh, it's 11 entities? Yeah, so um, very granular. So for each, we have um, separated p mm-hmm. um, and then really filters um, on everything in Power BI. So um, given the fact that all of the data lies in the same software, um, everything lies into zero right now. Um, so again, it's the same format for the database from where it's pulled in. So basically the only thing that is uh, separating each entity is just one column basically that is stating which entity it is, which is then easy to use as a filter in all of the reporting that we have mm. um, so that we can introduce all of these different ones. What we're looking at um, on statutory level, of course, it, it just, yeah, um, all of the uh, statutory reports that you can imagine, we need to have them per entity. Uh, business-wise, uh, we consolidate it as of today because with the centralization, it just the PNLs uh, themselves do not make sense. We just have central teams in Prague, in, in Amsterdam, um, uh, in London and New York. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, guys. And uh, um, so, yeah, it just makes sense to look at the costs from, from the same perspective. And then revenues might be a different thing there. We would want to separate it for territory or, or um, different segments, basically. And then are you able to interact as a finance team, or I sp- specifically the FP&A people, are they able to interact with, say, the product people in each of the, representing each of those entities? Essentially, what kind of feedback loop do you have between what you find when you do your reporting and what become the company priorities? Mm. Like I would say the reporting is so open that anybody can really look into that and everybody is um, kind of doing it uh, Mm. quite often that we don't have any like regular processes where we would be passing information. 
right. I would say it, it's just standing there for years for everybody and they are just looking themselves into all different reports. Um, Bravo BI is just open um, for access to anybody in the company. So anybody can log in and can have a look how we're doing here or there. Um, and I think for people, yeah, they for sure, they, they know that they can just have a look themselves when they're investigating things. Um, so if they need something, they reach out, uh, but they already have everything in hand they would need from mm. us basically and any point of time. And I suppose the, again, to use the term financial literacy, they know how to use that. The, they not only have the data, but they know how to use it and how it impacts them. Like most of it, like when it, when it comes to revenues or product usage, um, and the reports that we make, uh, like in this sense, they of course know when it comes to costs, it might be more complex. So that's something that we would take ourselves, um, just analyze, maybe post the Slack message to them saying, Hey, check out this, this looks good or, or bad, or what do you think about it? Uh, so that might be more driven by us. Uh, but I think the important part is that um, no one in the company should be afraid really to dig into data um, and we're, we're trying to pass it to them in that way so that they really can. How do you solve the year-end budgets leftovers which belong to specific departments? Do they expire or do they spill over? I like this question. That's my favorite. So um, I don't believe in budgets and leftovers. Uh, we always replan every month. Um, so if somebody already knows that they're not going to use it, they should give up that cash and give it to somebody else because there's not enough of it to just save it in their pocket. Um, so basically, we are not allowing any um, leftovers. I've always loved that concept that, you know, the, the idea that you have to use it or lose it and that somehow everyone in business and especially in governments and, and um, you know, places where it's, Someone's yeah, money, I know. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. But then it means that companies are like artificially spending cash in the ends of the years. And then everybody is just trying to spend a little more than what they had so that next mm. year they get the same amount and not lower. Um, I just feel, believe that if somebody needs more, uh, they should just raise it. They should come if they have a good business case, um, if it is worth it um if the roi is worth it we are happy to change the plans we are replanning all the time right so there's really no reason to have your bucket for a year and keep it um and it should work both ways you should be able to overspend it but maybe save if you figure out you don't need it i think that has been really fantastic we've had some great feedback already um, from dominique and from james and from nicholas i want to thank everybody for asking your questions because they were really helpful and i thought we were able to talk about some great topics uh, before i say goodbye just remember if you're not a cfo connect member and you enjoyed this chat you probably should be a cfo connect member uh, so go to cfoconnect.eu check out the podcast it's new we need your help and otherwise i want to thank you very much pablo for your time thank you thanks so much for inviting me cfo year is brought to you by cfo connect the fastest growing global community for finance leaders find the show on apple or spotify or at cfoconnect.eu please remember to subscribe and share and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback Join CFO Connect for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for experienced finance professionals. Just visit cfoconnect.eu. 
at cfoconnect.eu.